You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for February 14th, 2021, the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, and 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. This transfiguration account from Mark came up at morning prayer only a week ago, and hard on its heels, we hear it again today as we do every year on the last Sunday before Lent. And we will revisit the same story yet a third time in August on the Feast of the Transfiguration. So as our liturgical lessons go, this one gets more play than most on our calendar. Coincidence or not, maybe this year there's good reason to repeat this strange and mystical story of light and clarity as often as possible. During this long year of living in the trenches of the pandemic, along with all the other challenges this year has brought, I don't know anyone who wouldn't appreciate some extra mountaintop experiences. A while ago, I traveled to the Middle East to visit the Episcopal Church's schools and clinics for disabled and blind and deaf children in Jordan and the West Bank. Our group took time out in Nazareth to visit Mount Tabor, the site many Christians believe is where the transfiguration would have taken place. Throughout Christendom on this Transfiguration Sunday, many preachers make a fuss over Peter blurting out how good it is for them to be there on that mountain, suggesting they should build three dwellings, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Usually the implication is that Peter stumbles around and gets it wrong. He doesn't know what to say. He wants to stay up there and enshrine the experience while Jesus wants to take them down the mountain and get back to work. On my pilgrimage, I discovered there's at least one group of Christians who either missed the irony of Peter's suggestion, or for them, Peter was a vision. Franciscans built a beautiful church at the peak of Mount Tabor in 1924, almost 100 years ago. I'm sure many of you seasoned Holy Land pilgrims have been there. If so, you'll remember this church features a mosaic of the transfiguration scene in an apse high above the nave. Beneath that is a lower apse where sun streams in through breathtaking stained glass windows with images of brilliant colored peacocks, an ancient symbol of eternal life. And on either side of this main sanctuary that captures Jesus in this moment of grand epiphany, there are two other chapels. You guessed it, one for Moses and one for Elijah. No irony here. They are lovely, peaceful chapels, each with a mosaic depicting their patron, Moses at Mount Sinai with his stone tablets engraved with the commandments, and Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I'm not sure why the Franciscans took Peter seriously and built those three dwellings after all, while so many other Christians down through the ages have cast Peter in the role of mistaken fool in this transfiguration scene. But what I took home from my climb, my tour bus climb, is that Peter was right. It is good for us to be up there on the mountain, up where the light is bright, up where things we haven't been able to see clearly are suddenly understood in a momentary good for us to experience the heights of realization and vision. But coming to see better is essential to the deepening of our spirit. 
As the Rabbi Harold Kushner says, religion is not primarily a set of beliefs or a collection of prayers or a series of rituals. Religion is first and foremost a way of seeing. Seeing reality for what it is, having our prejudices and blinders taken away, is vital to our becoming fully awake, fully mature, fully alive human beings. Before the season of Epiphany culminates in this transfiguration light, bathing Jesus in a dazzling blaze on the mountaintop, it always begins with the story of the wise men following a dim light of a star across the desert to Bethlehem, where it rests over Jesus' manger. And having discovered the Christ child at the place where the star leads them, as the story goes, the wise men go home another way. They would never be the same, and they find a new path, a new way of traveling life's road. And so it is that the transfiguration light not only illuminates things for Peter, James, and John, but it prepares them to understand Jesus better after he has died and will empower them to carry on living as he lived, to be his hands and feet in the world. Transfiguration light is the same light shining in the darkness that Paul refers to in his second letter to the Corinthians we heard a few minutes ago. Sometimes that spiritual light shines on our darkest places to awaken us. And at such times, we are invited to come to our senses, to come to know better. And that's a great phrase, I should have known better. It's been literally true hundreds of times for me. And when at last I do know better about something, the hard way or by way of a kind of epiphany, it's in those moments I become more fully who I am meant to be, more human, more kind, more compassionate, more aware. And usually it takes a light going on in our heads or hearts that is so bright that the truth it reveals compels us undeniably to admit our mistakes and change in light of what we now know. What was a blinding light at first can become a guiding light. Knowing better and seeing better is the progress of the spiritual path. This month marks the day in 1860 when Abraham Lincoln, then an obscure lawyer and aspiring politician, gave his masterful speech at Cooper Union against the expansion of slavery. It's the speech that culminates with the famous words, let us have faith that right makes might, and in that faith let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. A capacity crowd of 1,500 turned out to hear him, and one eyewitness said, when Lincoln rose to spoke, I was greatly disappointed. He was tall and so angular and awkward that I had for an instance a feeling of pity for so ungainly a man. However, once Lincoln warmed up, his face lighted up as with an inward fire and the whole man was transfigured. Presently, forgetting myself, I was on my feet like the rest, cheering this wonderful man. It is impossible to know whether this eyewitness was making a nod to Jesus' transfiguration, using that word in his description. But this account of Lincoln's transfiguration says more about the eyewitness than about Lincoln. As Lincoln held forth, the person listening experienced their prejudice melt away and their consciousness awakened. It was an epiphany, 
an aha moment for the audience to hear articulated for them what their duty in fact was to halt the expansion of slavery and to receive the inspiration to dare to uphold that duty. Another person, having heard the speech, said it electrified the audience, driving conviction home to men's reasons and their souls. In other words, they saw Lincoln transfigured as he spoke, and what happened to them as a result was nothing short of their own transformation. When truth is spoken, there is light and enlightenment. Each time there is enlightenment, the world becomes a better place, whether for slaves or for women, children, or hourly wage workers, or farm laborers, or immigrants, or any other marginalized or oppressed people. When such as these are liberated as a result of the enlightenment of their oppressors, transfiguration has occurred, and the human race becomes that much more fully human. Like I said, our world could use a little more mountaintop clarity throughout these gray days of blurred vision. For the disciples, Peter, James, and John, this moment on the mountaintop is a moment of pure clarity for them. They suddenly see Jesus in the light of their whole history, more powerful than the law brought down by Moses, more visionary than their most important prophet, Elijah, and yet in unity with both of them. Jesus is revealed as a spirit of truth and love. The law doesn't hold all the power, and the prophets don't hold all the power. But truth and love, that is the word of God that spoke creation into being, the love that breathes life into each one of us, the truth that informed Abraham Lincoln and all of the truth-tellers of the world, truth and love are what ultimately hold all the power. And those truth and love are the very embodiment of who Jesus is and the force behind his power and his fearlessness. I'll say it again. Our world could use a little more truth and love and fearlessness to move us forward. Here we are at the crescendo of epiphany, bathed in transfiguration light. Our next liturgical moment this week is the stark reminder on Ash Wednesday of our own mortality, that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And with that, we will go into our Lenten desert. To be a follower of Jesus is to stay in his light. It is to follow where he leads, whether up the mountain or back down it or into the desert. We move through these seasonal metaphorical places with intention and in the rhythm of the calendar. But the truth is, any given day can take us up a mountaintop or down into a desert. This year has given us all a wallop of desert fatigue and the exhaustion of a mountain climber. It has been nearly impossible to find clarity on where our lives, our economy, our mental and emotional well-being are headed, or when this pandemic season will end. And it may be some time before we have clarity on those things. But our baptismal promise is that whenever we find ourselves in darkness, our orientation is always to return to the light of Christ and to let that light see us through all manner of darkness and disappointment. We don't go alone into our deserts. We go with Jesus, whose light shines in our darkness. Spiritual clarity not only comes on mountains or in seasons set aside for epiphanies, 
It can come to us in the midst of everyday experiences. And when we let it in, we can see more clearly how we are to dare to do the duty we always have before us, to follow the light of truth and love and to act upon them. That is the height of mountaintop clarity and reality. And today I second what Peter said on Mount Tabor. It is good for us to be here. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.